Welcome to the Restoration Church weekly podcast. Please take a minute to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And be sure to download the Church Center app. This is the best way to stay connected and up to date with all that's happening at Restoration Church. Most importantly, we hope the following message will help draw you closer to Christ. Thanks for listening. Well, friends, welcome to Restoration Church this Christmas Eve. My name is Ross. I'm the lead pastor here. It's so good to see you all this evening as we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus. I did want to mention that if it is your first time with us today, that there is a card on the seat back in front of you. We would encourage you to fill that out. Let us know who you are. We'd love to get you connected to all the great things God is doing here at Restoration. And of course, as suitable for Christmas, we do have a gift for you. If you tell us who you are, if you bring that card back to the table in the back after our service, we'd love to get a gift in your hand. Just a simple gesture for us to say, thanks for being here on Christmas Eve and welcome to Restoration Church. Light, light is one of the major themes of Christmas. It's really one of the major themes of all of scripture, actually. Light, candles, trees, houses, we see it everywhere. It reminds us that light is being shown into the darkness this time of year because it reminds us of how God is bring the bringer of light into the darkness that is often enshrouding our own hearts and minds and souls. Darkness takes the, the shape of despair. It takes the shape of loneliness. It takes the shape of stress and anxiety, worry, fear, sorrow, grief. It takes the form of sin. You should have received a candle as you entered. Everybody get a candle? Hold those candles up for me. No, no, okay, if you didn't get one, they are, they are in the back. An unlit candle. We talked about this a little bit for those of you who were with us on Thursday night during our longest night service. An unlit candle is representative of all those things. The grief we carry, the sorrow we carry, the sin that we carry, all these things. And one of the reasons I love Christmas Eve is because we get to reflect on how God illuminates the world. And how God brings his light into the darkness with the birth of Jesus, and he then trusts us to be his light also into the world. And so in a little while, we're going we're gonna to take light from the center candle, which represents Jesus Christ around our Advent wreath, and we're going to pass it to one another as a symbolic gesture of how we are passing light to one another. And as this candle, which represents, again, all the despair and the grief and the worry and the anxiety that we carry, it illuminates with the light of Christ. And that is a symbolic gesture and a symbolic action of what Christ does for each one of us if we trust and believe in what he can accomplish. But for now, let's remember what God has done for us this Christmas season through song. We're going to sing a couple of the classic Christmas carols which tell of this great story. If you would please stand, if you're willing, if you're able, stand and join us in singing a couple of the classic Christmas carols. Angels from the realms of glory and O little town of God. Have you ever thought about in, um, in all the great Christmas movies, the ones that we love, the ones that so many of us watch year after year after year, there's a cantankerous, embittered main character to these stories? I did a quick inventory this week. I was just thinking about some of these things, and I came up with a lot of them, but I'm just going to mention a few of them because we all know, right? Charlie Brown, of course, right? He, he was the man who was like, what is the meaning of Christmas? I just don't get it. What's the purpose of all this? And he spent the next 30 minutes trying to figure it out. And then, of course, there's the Grinch. That's an easy one, right? His heart was two sizes too small, right? He actually made an appearance this morning in this morning's service, which is pretty fun. 
But the Grinch, right, this really embittered, monstrous creature who lives up in the mountain, just hates Christmas. He hates people's joy. He hates it all. And then, of course, there's a classic Ebenezer Scrooge, right? He was just, bah humbug, what's the point of Christmas, right? Just embittered old characters. And it seems like every character has one of these embittered, cantankerous old characters. And I was just reflecting on why. Why are so many Christmas stories have these characters in them? And the reason I came up with was because they were written by middle-aged men. I think that's it. I think that the reason that these, these characters are written in these stories is because they're written by a bunch of middle-aged men who are like, I get it. As a middle-aged man myself, I get it. Christmas is kind of wearying. Christmas can be kind of burdening. I get it. I'm speculating here, but I'm guessing that they had just gotten do- do- home from a long day at the office. And they traveled a storm to get there, and upon arriving home, they found that their dog had eaten all the Christmas cookies <laughs> or the Christmas donuts. Yeah, we had a friend who their dog literally ate like nine donuts yesterday right off their counter. The dog probably knocked over the Christmas tree, shattered their great-grandmother's ornaments that they preserved and loved for many years. In disbelief, you know, they, they, they go to open the handful of cards that they arrived in the mailbox that day, and they're just... You know what the Christmas card does? It reminds you of how perfect everybody else's life is, right? Isn't that what the Christmas card does? It just reminds you everybody else has a perfect life. And that this season, we're supposed to be merry and bright, but for some reason, you know, they're just not feeling it. All they do is cause great mourning because they remind you of all the people that you've lost this year. You see how these other families all put together, and you're just reflecting and reminded of all the people that you've lost over the year. And how this Christmas is never going to be the same because that person is never going to be part of it again. And like there's a lot of mourning and a lot of grief that comes with the Christmas season. And so, you know, you throw those cards on the counter and you go to the door where there are several packages waiting for you. And what those packages remind you of is just all the debt that Christmas creates, right? And all the debt that you're now in because of the Christmas season. Despite that fact, they head out the door back to the storm to go pick up the remaining needs that they had for Christmas Day and Christmas dinner. And they go to the store and, of course, there are no more shopping carts left. The char, the, there's no more parking spots in the overcrowded stores. There's no more food on the shelves. There's no more toys left in the stores. And not only this, you know, you, you have to cram an additional 14 people into your three-bedroom, uh, three-bedroom, one-bath house, and they're going to stay with you for the next several days. We say this is the most wonderful time of the year, but the reality is for a lot of people, it's a really heavy time of the year. It's a really burdening time of the year. There's a lot of stress that comes with this time of year. There's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of loss that we have to wrestle with this time of the year. There's a reason that there are more heart attacks, more bankruptcies are declared, more marriages filed for divorce in December than any other month. Of course, a middle-aged person wrestling with all these things wrote all these movies. Of course, there's a cantankerous person embittered person in all of these great christmas movies there's a a charlie brown there's a grinch there's a scrooge in a lot of us this christmas season as much as we hate to admit it it kind of brings it out a bit i love christmas i really really do i love the lights i love the decorations i love the spirit of christmas i love the presents the gift giving all of it there's something magical about the christmas season but it does rub up against another truth doesn't it doesn't the christmas season always rub up against another truth We're told that the angels proclaimed peace on earth. How are our brothers and sisters over in Ukraine and the Palestine supposed to hear that this Christmas season? We sing songs like joy to the world. 
how are, how are those suffering through depression supposed to hear that this Christmas season? Or those suffered terrible loss supposed to hear that? One of my favorite bands, uh, Switchfoot, wrote a Christmas album last year, and one of the songs they included in this album was a song called Looking for Christmas. It's just an honest, raw lament about the season, and it's supposed to be full of light and beauty and magic, but they just weren't feeling it. So I want to read you some of the lyrics of this, of this song. All the carols in my ear, they feel disturbingly inept and insincere. I'm still looking for Christmas. Tell, tell me, what does Christmas mean? Tell me, what's the worth? Singing peace on earth when there's war on the TV screen. Oh, I'm still looking for Christmas. I get the feeling that I'm on my own. Is there a Christmas star to show me where you are? Because the wise men all forgot the way home. Well, it's halfway through December, the end of a long, weird year. As far as back as I can remember, the tension never felt this clear. Is this what my parents felt like, drinking bitter and sweet from the cup? Maybe this is what it feels like to grow up. And all the carols are still the same, but maybe my ears are hearing different. Something's changed. I'm still looking for Christmas. Tell me, how does Christmas work? With our flags unfurled, singing joy to the world, when there's so much pain and hurt. And I was reminded recently that it's not just adults. It's not just our middle-aged men and women who are kind of, you know, feeling the burden of Christmas. Kids are feeling it too. Kids are wrestling with it too. As much as we joke that the kids don't feel the pressure, it's just not true, right? They're, they're just pondering just as much as the adults are, the, the tragedy of living in a broken world. A group of teachers <clears throat> recently asked their students if they were given the opportunity to give a non-tangible gift to someone, what would that non-tangible gift be? And here were some of the responses that they said. I would like to see my dad more. I would give peace to Russia and Ukraine. I would give my dad more time with his memory. I would ask for no more global warming. I would give my mom a less stressful life. I would give my dad more time with his mom. I would give my mom a way to talk with my dad. I would ask that my parents stop fighting over politics. I would help my grandfather to not struggle from Parkinson's. I would like to help my aunt who has ALS. Kids, just because, you know, they have maintained maybe the innocence of the season of Christmas, they're not immune to the pain of the world. To the brokenness in the world, to the stress that we carry and the pain they also feel. And so I, I love how Charles Schultz, right, he was the person who wrote the Peanuts, the Peanuts story, Christmas, the Peanuts um, characters. He gathered this group of elementary-aged kids to tell us about the true meaning of Christmas and to wrestle Christmas to the ground. Yeah, Charlie Brown was this cantankerous, but it was because he wanted more out of what Christmas was being offered him, right? He saw the commercialization of Christmas, and he wanted to understand what the true meaning of Christmas was. And so you guys might remember this story. They go into this Christmas tree lot, and there aren't any you know, trees left, and so he finds a fake aluminum Christmas tree, a fake Christmas tree. He's embittered by it, and he's sad, and so the, he's, he doesn't want that. He doesn't want this fake, fake tree like everybody else is telling him. Go get the, the most aluminum tree that you can possibly find. He didn't want that. So what does he find? A runt, a humble little tree, a nothing little tree, a pathetic little tree. And he brings it back, and everyone laughs at him. And it's here that he cries out famously, Can anyone tell me the meaning of Christmas? Do you guys remember how the story goes? His good buddy Linus 
Well, let's just watch and find out. Some of the most significant characters in the Christmas story are the shepherds. Here's what we learn about the shepherds in the Gospel of Luke. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, what Luke doesn't tell us is all the background behind the shepherd's story. In the first century, shepherds lived with a heavy heart, pretty consistently a heavy heart, because the life of a shepherd was a great social, physical, and spiritual sacrifice. Shepherds lived alongside their sheep 24-7-365 because if they didn't, wolves would eat their sheep. And so they constantly had to be protecting their sheep from their danger. They rarely bathed, they rarely interacted with society, and they never participated in Jewish tradition or in sacraments. And so they were unclean physically, socially, and spiritually. Physically, they were filthy. They were unkept, unshaven, never bathed, never ran a comb through their matted hair. Their clothes were never clean. They smelled of sheep constantly. They were also social outcasts. They, they lived in you know, clustered communities out on the hillside away from society. And so they were socially unacceptable as well. The few times they would ever go into town, these are the people that women would hide their children from because they didn't want their children even interacting or coming near these, these, raggedy, these raggedy men. Their appearance and their stature was enough to keep even the children away. They weren't invited into society. They weren't accepted. And when they showed up unannounced, people ran from them. And though I'm sure this went heavy on them, I think it was the belief that they were spiritually unclean that probably tormented their souls and their hearts the most. Shepherds were by default sinners. Because they understood in their day that if you wanted to be accepted by God, then you had to go to the temple in Jerusalem, (laughs) sacrifice your sheep there or your animal there, and then maybe then God would look favorably upon you. But because they could not leave the side of their sheep, they could not go do what they believed was required for them to be accepted by God. So they didn't participate in the Sabbath laws. They didn't participate in the sacrifice of the temple or in the festivals or in the pilgrimages or the synagogue or by reading the Torah. They did not participate in all the activities they believed were necessary in order to come close to God. They could not do the things they believed God required them to do. And so they never believed that they were under God's favor. You see, the religious system of their day profited off of people's guilt. And so the religious leaders of their day made sure that everybody knew they were guilty They put a heavy, heavy blanket of guilt on the people so that the people would come, pay their money to buy their animals, and then offer them to God so that they could be free of their guilt. They probably lived with a strong sense of shepherd's guilt because the religious leaders in their day made it clear that they were guilty. These were guilty people. They could not do what was necessary for them to be accepted by God. And these shepherds interacted with the religious leaders all the time because these lambs in particular, the ones that they were caring for outside on the hills of Bethlehem, were the very ones that were being raised for the sole purpose of going to the temple to be sacrificed. And so they knew that they were providing a way for God to accept everybody but themselves. They were helping everybody get close to God, but they themselves were not close to God. These shepherds tended the sheep that would make other people close to God and forgiven by God, but they never could be. And I can imagine that was a really, really heavy burden that they had to carry every single day. So their guilt, it was strong and it was constant. Their insufficiency and securities were loud and clear. So can you feel that weight? Can you carry that burden? Can you feel it? Can you relate? We live in a society, I think, that is constantly telling us that we're not good enough. Social media does that for most of us pretty much all the time, for those of us on social media. We're constantly being told that we're not enough. 
Has anyone ever been part of a religious system that made you feel guilty so that the religious system could feel better about itself? Made you feel guilty? Made you walk around with a constant knowledge that you weren't enough? That you were guilty that you're a sinner? Guilt and shame, man, they eat at our souls. These are, these are heavy emotions that a lot of us carry, and they eat away at us, and they burden us, and they can destroy relationships, and they can physically paralyze us even at times. See, the shepherds, they couldn't be free because they had made their identity, even though it wasn't literally killing them, they had made their identity, all of these things, that they were unclean, that they were unkept, that they weren't accepted, that they weren't enough. This is who they believed that they were. And it was a mind-blowing part of the story that the angels appeared to them first, that they appeared to these sinners. No one in their day would have written this story. Nobody in their day would have written the story about God coming near sinners. It didn't make sense. It wasn't the theology that anybody held on to in their day. That's one of the reasons that I believe that it is true. God comes near sinners. To the shepherds we learn this. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. They were terrified because out of nowhere, a being who probably looked like a man, we oftentimes, you know, when we think of the the nativity scenes, we have shepherds and we often see that shepherds are flying, but nowhere in scripture does it tell us that these messenger angels have wings. A man was probably standing alongside them. They were probably scared because literally out of nowhere, a shepherd just appears to them. And we're told elsewhere in scripture that, that these messenger angels had faces that were glowing and their eyes were like fire and their faces were like lightning. And so these glowing men just appear out of nowhere and freak the heck out of the shepherds standing on the hillside. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I know I look scary. I know I'm not what you're used to seeing. Don't be afraid. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all people. I know I'm alarming. I know I'm frightening. But I have great news for you, shepherds. Shepherds, the ones who know they're guilty. You, shepherds, the ones who know you're unclean. You know you're filthy. You know you're dirty. You know you're a sinner. I have great news for you. Today in the town of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. This will signify something. This is this, this image, right? What you're about to see is you go down into Bethlehem. What you see there signifies something so much greater than what you realize. This is a sign. It's, yes, it's a physical thing, but it's pointing to something so much bigger. And I am telling you shepherds this because only you shepherds are going to be able to understand this. Here is the sign. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Now, most mangers in our day, we actually have one up here. We use this for our family service today. Most mangers today, we have these wooden mangers like this up here. Oftentimes, that's what you find depicted in our modern-day tellings of the nativity scene. But mangers in their day were feeding troughs for animals. That's literally what they were. They were troughs for animals to come and feed out of. And they weren't made of wood. They were probably made of stone because they, were, they needed to be heavy and they needed to be a pr- protective agent as well because... When a shepherd would give birth, you know, the shepherd didn't give birth. When a lamb would give birth and the shepherd would tend to the birthing of a unblemished, pure lamb, they would take that lamb and they would wrap that lamb in cloth and they would bring that lamb to a manger like this, a stone case of protection, and they would place it in there as a way to protect that lamb from all of the other dangers that we're up against. 
And so this angel comes to this shepherd, someone who is familiar with mangers, someone who takes lambs, unblemished, pure lambs all the time that were meant for sacrifice, wraps them in cloth all the time and places them in mangers all the time. And they say, go, go to Bethlehem, go see that there is a baby wrapped in cloth lying in a manger. This was God's unblemished lamb. This is what they would have seen. This is God's unblemished lamb, the sacrifice that would take away the sin of the world. That's what they would have understood when they saw the infant Jesus. That's what they would have seen. But undoubtedly, they would have been confused by the sign because this is not what anybody's expecting regarding the Messiah. As they're contemplating what this meant, the hillside lights up. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. See, this good news of the angel bumps up against the experience of the world. It bumps up against the experience of the world. And so these shepherds, they, they look around and, and they're undoubtedly confused. Are you, are you talking to us? You can't be talking to us. Peace on earth, good news for all of men. You can't be talking to us. This isn't for us. We don't get the good news. God doesn't look favorably upon us. We can't do what is expected of us in order to get on God's good side. We're not on God's good side. We haven't offered sacrifice. We haven't been to the temple. We haven't been reading our Torah. We haven't been to the synagogue. We haven't been saying our prayers or observing the Sabbath. We have not been doing what is necessary for God to look favorably upon people. And so what are you talking about, angels? There is good news for us. There is good news for me. We've never known peace before. All we've known is the turmoil of our soul and the angst that we carry around with us and the guilt and the shame and the filth and the dirty of being physically and socially and spiritually unclean. Society doesn't like us. God certainly doesn't like us. There's no way, angels, you're talking to us. There is no peace for us. But you're telling us that this child is introducing a new way, a new way of understanding God. This child, this unblemished lamb of God, is the child... There is a new way, there is new favor, there is new peace, there is a Savior that has been born for us, the sinner. And when the angels had left them, gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Well, let's go to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger, this unblemished lamb who would take away the sin of the world, who would be offered as a sacrifice to take away the sin of the world. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them, that salvation is available to sinners. Salvation is available to sinners. That freedom is available to those who have been found guilty. <clears throat> this child would offer forgiveness for the world. This child is the savior of sinners. This was radical and complete rewriting of everything they ever believed about God and how he looked upon humanity and what they thought about the Messiah in general. God's favor rests on sinners. This was a mind-blowing reality. God's favor rests on sinners. Let me say that again for all the sinners in the room. God's favor rests on sinners. And all who heard it were amazed and what the shepherds had said to them. And my friends, my prayer for every single one of you is that you would be equally amazed by what the angels are speaking to every one of us, that God's favor rests on sinners. 
Every year I feel like Jesus slips a little further and further to the back burner this time of year. Does anybody else feel that way? Emily and I were just in Europe, and Christmas is everywhere in Europe. It's beautiful. The decorations, I mean, above and beyond, it is just gorgeous. Even here, I mean, the hustle and the bustle. We were out shopping today. Like, the the streets are crowded. The stores are crowded. Christmas is everywhere. But Jesus is nowhere. You guys experience that? Christmas is everywhere, but Jesus is nowhere. And this season is full of stress, and it's lacking peace for so many. And we think that the commercialized, manufactured Christmas will offer some sense of solace and some sense of hope. And so we wrap gifts, and we put them under the tree, thinking that they'll bring joy to an otherwise dreary and heavy world, when the real source of comfort and the real source of peace and joy was already wrapped in cloth and placed in a manger 2,000 years ago. We've lost the amazement, and we've lost the simplicity of Christmas. My friends, at Christmas time, God comes near to sinners. He comes to save sinners. And so here's what I've come to realize. Only sinners and those who understand and recognize and own the fact that they are sinners can truly appreciate Christmas. I believe that's true. For everybody else, it's just a way to shop. It's just a way to be commercialized. It's just a way to manufacture joy. But only those who truly recognize that we are sinners and own the fact that we are sinners can truly understand that Jesus Christ came to save sinners and that God's favor rests on sinners. If you have not experienced a desperation caused by the knowledge of your own sin, of your own choice, of your own foolish heart and twisted mind, If you have not understood, whether because society has told you or your own choices have led to destruction within your household or within your communities or within your workplace, or your conscience becomes so heavy that it finally overwhelms you and it breaks you and brings you down to your knees like it did to the shepherds, right? They were just overwhelmed by guilt and overwhelmed by the the knowledge that they were filthy socially and and physically and spiritually. If you have not gotten to the end of yourself, if you have not hit rock bottom, if you have not gotten deep in understanding how all-encompassing sin goes, then Christmas will just be another day to celebrate. It will never be the day to shout and rejoice that Jesus saves sinners and that God has come near sinners. Christmas, Christmas will always just be nonsense. And this Christian message will always just be foolishness and weakness. But come to the end of yourself, friends. Get to the end of your rope. Get to rock bottom. Understand how deep the sin goes in your heart and in your life. And the gracious hand of God will lift you up and it will embrace you. You see, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Of course, it was cause for rejoicing. They who left seeing the infant child Jesus wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger, they understood the Savior of the world has come, the Savior who has come for sinners. They understood that God's favor rests on sinners, and so they left rejoicing, praising God, shouting to the sky, Hallelujah, I have been saved. Let me tell the world about the greatness and the salvation of our God. They left the side of Jesus rejoicing that God's favor rests on sinners. Of course they were rejoicing. Sinners and only sinners have been saved. 
Back when we uh, lived in Minnesota 10 years ago, we moved out here to start Restoration Church, and I had the opportunity, Emily and I both did actually, um, the church we were part of went to uh, prisons somewhat regularly, and we led worship for inmates. And my friends, you will, it is, it is an incredible thing, the rejoicing that comes from sinners who have been saved. These are, these are some of the, the, the lowest in society, right? The people we lock up to say, you're not worthy to be out in the, among the regular people, and so we lock you away. The murderers, the, fee, the thieves, all the, the, the worst people of society, the outcasts, the sinners, many, not all, of course, knew to the core of how guilty they were. The reason they were behind bars was because they were guilty. They knew it. Deep within them, they knew it. But when they heard that God's favor rests on sinners... When they heard that God's grace had come for sinners, they rejoiced like nothing I had ever experienced. And I want to give you just a one-minute glimpse into what I'm talking about. This isn't the exact prison that we are part of, but this is essentially what we experienced every time we went to lead worship for inmates. Take a look. People who know they've been saved. Man, people have a reason to rejoice when they know they've been pulled from the deepest pits. And that's exactly what the shepherds did. God had come near them, sinners as they were, and there was great cause for rejoicing. Emily's going to sing a song that reflects on the nature of Christmas and the salvation that we too have been offered. And I know we're like a Baptist church, and I know that we're you know, primarily a bunch of Caucasians, and this is like, we don't worship like that, right? But so were they. <laughs> we have cause for rejoicing, friends. We have cause for lifting God's name high and rejoicing. He has saved even the worst of sinners. So let's listen as Emily sings this great song of Christmas, Noel. The first words spoken in scripture are, let there be light. These were hope, these were words of hope into despair. These are words of comfort, comfort into broken hearts, words of restoration into brokenness. Salvation over condemnation, forgiveness over guilt. And this word took on flesh, we are told, and this word dwelt among us in the infant child, Jesus. And now we who have experienced that restoration and that freedom have an opportunity to be the light for the world. And what's so unique about light is that when it is given away, it doesn't lose anything of itself. When you give money away, when you give food away, when you give resources away, you lose something. But light isn't like that. When you give your light away, that light grows. Light is unique. It multiplies when you give it away. So my friends, we are going into a weary world. We are going with the light, the knowledge that God's favor rests on sinners. And my friends, here's the thing. You know, every single person you know is 100% a sinner. Every single person in the world that we know, we know 100% sinners. And we have an incredible message. God's favor rests on sinners and only sinners can be saved. What an incredible message we have this Christmas season. We are saved by the grace that comes through knowing and trusting in Jesus Christ. And so my hope for all of us that in 2024 we would bring more of Jesus into our life and less of us. That we would carry more Jesus and less of us. And that the world then might be amazed again just as the shepherds were, as they told their community about the salvation, that their community was amazed by what they're saying. My, my hope is that our community would likewise be amazed 
but the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ and the word of our testimony and the word of our life as ambassadors and light carriers. So we are going to circle up. That's how we do it here at Restoration. We, we try to make a circle around the sanctuary and we're going to begin to reflect on the nature of Christmas as we sing some great classic Christmas carols and we're going to pass this light to one another. I'm going to take it from the Christ candle and then I'm going to give it to the next person. They're going to give it to the next person. and Little by little, you're going to receive the light of Christ. Light into despair. Light into darkness. Christmas, remember, God's favor rests upon us, even us who acknowledge our sin. Merry Christmas, friends. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.